In just a moment, I'm going to share with you the title of tonight's sermon. The title is in the form of a question. And when I share it with you, there's no need for you to say, well, yes, absolutely. Or, well, no, there's no way. Or, well, I'm not really sure. Maybe, could be. Okay, you don't have to say anything like that. Now, if you're at home and you're by yourself, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you don't want to commit yourself until you have more information. In fact, why don't you go ahead and turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be starting there here in just a moment. And I'll give you a moment to uh, turn over to Hebrews because I want you to be ready to look at the passage we're going to read that, um, here in just uh, a few moments. But the, uh, the title of tonight's message is this. Is there intelligent life on other planets? You may be thinking, seriously? You're going to waste a sermon on this? Oh, you'll understand by the time we're finished. Is there intelligent life on other planets? Well, the Bible has the answer. In fact, if you look here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak, and of Samson and of Jephthah and David and all also, and, and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. So I, I guess, you know, <laughs> I guess they were able to use their spears, their bows and arrows, their... their their slingshots, their guillotines, or whatever else they used, and their, their catapults. and I guess they were able to use those weapons to fight off um, intelligent civilizations that knew how to develop spaceships that could fly through outer space and have, you know, phasers and photon bombs and all that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the spears worked well against that. Now, you know I'm being sarcastic here. And obviously, that... Aliens, that's not what that's talking about. We all understand that. So I'm trying to inject a little humor before we get started. I, you, did, you didn't really laugh the way you should have. But I, I'll forgive you. <laughs> Is there intelligent life on other planets? Why would this be a question? Well, you ask some people and they're going to say, Oh, no, there's not. And some folks would say, Well, I, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Then you got those folks that, are, oh yeah, oh absolutely, absolutely. And so you ask them, okay, well, why do you believe there's intelligent life on other planets? And they'll start things, things, saying things like, well, because, I mean, all the UFO sightings? I mean, really, all the UFO sightings? Come on. You know, where do you think those, those things are coming from? And, and then all the people who have shared about their experiences interacting with Alien life forms. And the folks that have been abducted and taken up to spaceships and been the object of, you know, experiments. And not only that, but what about all these specials on TV where they, uh, they reveal the, the secret NASA files 
and the secret government files that prove that there is life out there somewhere on a planet someplace and that those, those people have come to earth and visited us and so forth. You know what I'm talking about. In fact, sometimes on some of these channels, they'll have, I don't know, like UFO week. Well, like, you know, the whole week, all they're talking about, and they interview people that say, you know, we've got the evidence, we've got the proof. So, okay, well, and you listen to some of this stuff, and it's like, wow, you know, that's pretty impressive. But let's find out. Let's, let's go to the Bible to find out if we can determine whether or not there is intelligent life on other planets. So let's go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. Now, you and I both know that some people... Now, when I talk about people believing in uh, intelligent life on other planets, I'm not talking about the lost. I'm talking about Christians, okay? And uh, you may indeed find some Christians that are absolutely convinced, yep, life on other planets. We've been visited. I've seen the UFOs myself. Well, glory to God. Um, and some people, no matter what you show them in the Word of God, you know, they're not going to believe. No, it doesn't matter. They've got their mindset, boom, this is it. That's what they're going to believe. All right, well, let's, let's just take a look in Scripture, okay? Let's do that. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, the word heaven is from the Hebrew word semayim. And I'm, I'm sure I'll probably butcher some of these words, but, you know, just bear with me. And what it means is sky, firmament, or universe. And then the word earth is the word eretz. Now, it can mean, it can mean dirt, and it can mean the planet, but the use of a word... Um, its, its meaning is predicated on its context. Because some Greek or Hebrew, well, just like for us, you know the word green. Well, the, the word green can mean inexperienced. It can mean a color. It, it can mean somebody who's looking kind of sick. It can mean somebody who's concerned about the environment. So if I say, well, you know, Barry's kind of green. Yeah. You would... <laughs> Which might be kind of hard to tell, but... <laughs> but see, you would wonder, what does he mean? Does he mean that, you know, Barry spilled paint on himself? Or is, is Barry looking sick? Or is Barry concerned about the environment? Unless I give you more information about how that word is used, you're not really sure what I mean. Well, here in this verse, the word Eretz, it, it essentially means the basic, fundamental, elemental particles of creation. You know, what we might commonly refer to as um, like atoms, molecules, protons, electrons, neutrons, you know, things like that. And so here we see that in the beginning God created the universe and he created the molecular particles. And we all know that there are particles smaller than molecules, so I'm just using words we can identify with. He created the molecules that were then used to create everything else of substance. Whether it's 
a gas or a, a solid or whatever it would be. Then you look in same chapter, chapter 1, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And so it was, or and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good in the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Okay, now what this means is there was no moon and there was no sun and no stars until the fourth day. You understand that? I mean, this is not supposed to be complicated. If, it, if God says he did it this way, that's how he did it. But sometimes people read through this and don't even think about what they're reading. So that means in day one, two, and three, no sun, no moon, no stars, no other planets. It was not until day four that the other space objects were created. Now look in Genesis chapter one, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And then again in verse 28, it talks about um, that he blessed them and he said unto them, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it and have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So, God creates humanity, starting with a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. And he gives Adam and Eve, what he says in here, he gives man dominion or a position of authority over what he has created. Now, we see this reiterated over in Psalm, leave your finger here in Genesis and look over in Psalm chapter 8. Psalm 8, and in Psalm 8, pick it up in verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All things under his feet. So we see really kind of an expanded um, explanation of this whole thing. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and so forth. We see here that it talks about dominion over the works of his hand. Now what are the works of his hand? Genesis chapter 1. Day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6. In other words, his creation. He's given man dominion and authority over the work of his hands. Now turn back to Genesis and in chapter 3. We know what happens in chapter 3. God had told Adam, look, you're here in the garden and um, eat anything you want except the fruit from this one tree right over here. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day you eat it, you're going to die. Well, 
We know there in Genesis chapter 3, the whole story of the serpent, the fruit, the lies of the serpent. Eve eats, gives to Adam, he eats, and it's a done deal. You pick it up in verse 17. And unto Adam, he, God, said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto dust. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So we see here that when Adam sinned, he says in verse 17, God says, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Or cursed is, really, he's saying cursed is the planet. Cursed is the ground because of what you did. And now, because of that, you know, for the rest of your, di- your, the rest of your days, in order for you to eat, there's going to be a lot of sorrow. It's going to be hard work to, for you to figure out how to eat. He says, you're going to be dealing with thorns and thistles, which means thorns and thistles didn't exist prior to, to this situation. Well, see, that right there messes up a lot of people's theology because they think God created roses to have thorns. No, he did not. I mean, it's right here, guys. So because of what Adam did, a curse was imposed upon, and here it says, the ground. Well, now, if you look over to Romans chapter 5, we'll read some more about this. Because it wasn't just the dirt that was cursed. That phrase, you know, cursed is the ground because of what you've done. Well, we, we get more information about this in Romans chapter 5. Verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered into the world, and that word world does not mean exclusively planet earth, it means the sum total of creation. Sin entered into the sum total of creation, and death by sin. Now that word death, it doesn't simply mean physical, dropover, dead, death. It means corruption. And so he says, because of what Adam did, sin entered into the world, and sin became the door through which corruption entered into the sum total of all creation, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So we see the origin of physical death, but we also see the origin of corruption. Not just here on earth, but in all of creation. The sum total of creation. Now look in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, pick it up in verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, that, right, that verse right there. You know, if you were to meditate on that, maybe read it a hundred times a day, just that verse, eventually it's going to kick in. And you're going to stop bellyaching about everything that goes wrong in life. Now, I I have to include myself in this. (laughs) But he says, you know, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature, or 
creation, that which was created, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Well, okay, what does that mean? It's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Well, he begins explaining. For creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature or creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, or not only creation, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. What are the first fruits of the Spirit? Born again. Those of us who are born again, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Now let's take a look at this. He says in verse 9, that creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. It's like, well, now wait a second, we're already here. But that's not the manifestation it's waiting for. In verse 19, it's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. In verse 23, well, in verse 22, we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only creation, but ourselves also. Those of us who are born again, even we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Now, keep your finger here and look over in 1 Corinthians 15. This redemption of our body, what's he talking about? Well, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Now where it says death is swallowed up in victory, what does that mean? Well, it means this, that this change he's talking about, this body that is mortal is going to be made immortal. This body that is corruptible is going to be made incorruptible. When that happens, (laughs) death has lost its sting. Death can't touch these bodies. And so, here we see this change that is taking place. Now, look back over in Romans 8. In verse 23, what we just read in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the redemption of our body. Our spirit has already been redeemed. But our redemption is not complete until the redemption of our body. So, we're waiting for that glorification of our body. Now, when you look at this, in verse 21, it says that creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So what he's telling us there is, once we, we we go first, creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. 
we get our glorification, the corruptible made incorruptible, the mortal made immortal. And then creation, it then receives the same kind of deliverance from corruption into the glorious liberty that the children of God have experienced. Meaning, creation is going to experience its own redemption in that it, like our bodies, will be changed into a place of being incorruptible. Now that's what he's talking about here in Romans chapter 8. So then what we're seeing is that both we who are Christians and creation will be experiencing an absolutely incredible change. So creation's waiting for our body to be redeemed and waiting for that redemption to, to be complete. But what exactly is going to happen to creation? Well, we see glorious liberty. Yeah, I know that. But how is it going to take place? Well, God lets us know. We start back in Psalm 102. Psalm 102. Now here in Psalm 102, just pick it up in verse 25. Of old, like somebody's talking to God. Well, yeah, we'll just start at verse 25. He's talking to God and he says, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. Now stop right there. Remember, it says that God gave dominion to man dominion over the work of his hands. So here we see, of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. Now here in verse 26, you'll see that phrase, shall perish, Well, he's talking about creation, the earth and the work of God's hands. Call it, you know, all of creation, uh, the heavens, the universe, and so forth. And there's that that, uh, two-word phrase, shall perish. And in the Hebrew, it's the word abad. And what it means is to destroy, to vanish, to be exterminated. Then he says in verse 26 that... They shall wax old. All of them shall wax old. Well, all of them what? Everything that's out there in creation. All of the the things in the celestial sky. I mean, however you want to put it. They shall wax old. Okay, now that phrase, wax old, comes from the Hebrew word bala. And it means wear out, be exhausted, waste away. All right, what did we just read over there in Romans chapter 8? That it, it, uh, creation is groaning because of the corruption. It's falling apart. Completely falling apart. Well, it's waxing old, as it says in this verse. Then in verse 26, you see the word change, and then you also see the word changed. As a vesture, thou shalt change them, and they shall be changed. That, uh, both of those words, change and changed, come from the same Hebrew word, halap. It means to renew or Um, the image would be to replace one with another. A replacement. Okay, now, 
Here we see that God is telling us that creation is going to wax old. It is going to be destroyed. It's going to vanish. It will be exterminated. Well, if it vanishes, guess what? You can't see it, right? It's not a play on words. It's going to be gone. Now look over in Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. And just look at verse 17. God says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. The former. That means that which was before the new. Okay? Okay, now the, you see this word in Isaiah, uh, or in verse uh, 17, where he says, Behold, I create new heavens. That word create is the word bara. And it means to bring into existence, and interestingly, it is the exact same Hebrew word that's used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. The exact same word. And this, uh, the phrase, the correct phrase for this is actually bara ex nihilo, which means created out of nothing previously existing. What that means is God had to create the molecules because they didn't exist. He had to create what he needed to create what he created. <laughs> That'd be like, you know, if you try to bake a cake, well, you can't bake the cake unless you come up with flour and everything else. So you've got to figure out, well, you can't create it, so you go to the store and you buy it. But in your house, no flour, no flavoring, no eggs, nothing. So you can't make it until you've got the ingredients. Well, God creates the ingredients, and then he bakes the cake. <laughs> and it's a good cake. <laughs> chocolate, chocolate icing, glory to God. <laughs> a German chocolate. <laughs> Canadian chocolate, hallelujah. So, here he says, I am going to create a new heaven and a new earth, a new universe and a new planet. Now, if you look over in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about uh, the end times and all these things that are going to happen. And we'll just jump into this. Matthew 24, verse 35. Jesus says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And that phrase, pass away, it comes from a, a Greek word, parer komei. And I, I know that's not the way it's pronounced. Well, that's the way it's pronounced here tonight. Parer komei, and it means perish. Now, for years, I thought that when he said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away, I thought he was just waxing poetic. You know what I mean? Just to emphasize the nature of his words. No, he wasn't waxing poetic. What he was saying is, Heaven and earth are going to pass away. He's repeating what God has already said in the Old Testament. And so he says, Heaven and earth shall pass away. Heaven and earth shall perish. The universe and this planet are going to perish. But my words will not. My words shall not perish. Then if you look in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's just pick this up in verse 7. 
But the heavens and the earth, which now are, by the same word, the word of God, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, I don't know how much more clear this has to be, but there are some people who argue against this, and they come up with some strange ideas. This means exactly what it says. Now, in verse 10 is the phrase, pass away. Well, that's the same phrase or same word that Jesus used in Matthew 24, 35, when he said heaven and earth will pass away. Well, this is the exact same thing. It's going to perish. In verse 10, it says a great noise. And uh, that comes from a Greek word, roizadon. And it means the roaring noise like that of an immense, unfathomable storm of wind. In other words, like a, a big explosion. You, here's your big bang. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what this is kind of describing. And in verse 10, you see the word ele- elements. And that's the Hebrew word stoichion. And it means basic elements. In other words, call it your molecules or whatever. And uh, in verse 10, you see the phrase shall melt. It comes from the Greek word luo. And it means unbind, untie, break apart, or break up. In other words... What it's talking about is this heat is going to be so intense, this fire, that um, what holds the molecules together so that they form uh, like oxygen or wood, or you understand what I mean? That which is holding the elements together is going to come apart. I mean, everything is going to... It's just like if you burn, uh, burn a, a piece of wood and then you end up with a pile of dust ashes. Well, that's because the, the constitution of the wood has been broken apart by the heat, by the fire. Well, it's saying here that, that even the basic components, the elements, are going to start falling apart. And in verse 10, you see the word earth, and that is talking about the planet. And then verse 10, it talks about works. It's the... The uh, Hebrew word, or the Greek word, ergon, it means that which is on the earth. In other words, what this is saying is, remember when, when the flood destroyed all life on earth, and God said, I give you my word, I promise you, I'm going to guarantee that I will never again kill humanity with a flood. And I'm going to give you a rainbow to, to, every time you look and see that rainbow, 
That's a sign of my promise, my covenant to you. What he didn't say was, I'm not going to destroy it with fire. <laughs> and so here we see everything. Now listen to this, everything. There is going to be a fire. Now what is that fire? Well, it's not going to be like striking a match. This is going to be something that really is supernatural. And I don't know what it, how to describe it. I mean, maybe it is the glory of God in its most pure form released into the universe against corruption. And the end result is, you know, a fire. And everything is... It, see, our minds can't comprehend this. We, we read this and it's like, nah, it can't really mean that. Yeah, this is what it means. And it's beyond our human ability to comprehend this kind of an event. And yet, this is what he's talking about. And if you look over in, in Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, verse 1. Now this is, you know, at the end of everything, and the beginning of eternity, if, if you will. I mean, that's not the best way to say it, but... Verse, chapter 21, verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, just like Jesus said. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So here we see the arrival of the new universe and the new planet Earth. We see, I mean, what we've just done here in the last few minutes, we've gone from Genesis to Revelation. And we've seen all of history as far as creation is concerned. Now let's summarize this. Number one, God created the universe and everything in it. Everything in it. And it was perfect. You know, when you see these um, science specials and they talk about stars exploding and collapsing and black holes and all this kind of stuff, do you realize that kind of um, catastrophic calamity was never part of the original plan? You, you weren't going to have meteors crashing into planets and all. It, it was never a part of the original plan. But nevertheless, number one, God created the universe and everything in it. Number two, God gave man dominion and authority over all of creation. Number three, man sinned, which released the destructive, corruptive power of sin into all of creation. It was a chain reaction. Number four, God said, the day is coming when the entire universe, right down to the, the elements, the molecules themselves, it will all be completely destroyed and there will be a newly created heaven, universe, and planet earth. Now, 
All of that is true. We just read it in the Bible, correct? I mean, I'm not trying to trick you here. We just read all this in Scripture. And I didn't make any of this up. We just read it. I gave you some word definitions. You don't believe my word definitions? You can look these things up yourself. Just make sure you're using a good resource. So then what we see is the whole universe is going to be destroyed. Now, if there is intelligent life on other planets, then those individuals and their planets have been corrupted by the sin committed by a single human on a planet untold light years away. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you are looking at me like, I don't really know if I... Okay. <laughs> Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> now do you understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> to boldly go. <laughs> in other words, there you have this intelligent life that is 500 million miles away from Earth. 42 billion miles away from Earth. They never even heard of planet Earth. And yet, because of what Adam did, that planet is now corrupted. And not only that, think of it this way. We inherited the sin nature because we are descendants of Adam. Those people on those other planets, they're not descendants of Adam. But you're telling me that they have been sentenced to the same destruction as Earth because someone on Earth committed sin? Do you understand what I'm saying? I hope you do. How in the world could God justify destroying planets that are a hundred light years away? A light year is the distance light travels in one year, which is a lot. <laughs> what Light travels, what, 187,000 miles per second? Something like that? So, 187,000 miles per second times how many seconds in a year? Okay, that's a long way off. So then, God's going to condemn people in these other planets to utter destruction just because of what Adam did on earth? Does that make any sense at all? It doesn't compute. It, in fact, it, it actually violates any form of logic that we could imagine. What this means is, listen, there is no intelligent life on another planet. How many planets did Jesus have to go to and die on a cross? And what if the people on that planet never ate from the tree? Are you following what I'm saying? Now, some people still might be thinking, well, yeah, but, but I don't know, Brother Martin. I mean, and especially why are you taking the time to cover this in a sermon. doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Okay, here, here it comes. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Christians who accept the, the whole concept of life is on other planets, they do so because they have exalted faulty science, rumors, the influence of science fiction, and unchecked imaginations over God's Word. Because I just walked you through the Word of God and proved, proved beyond any debate, there is no intelligent life on another planet. None, none whatsoever. And then some people would say, well, yeah, but Brother Martin, what, what about all the UFOs? I mean, what, what about all the people that said they've encountered alien beings? What about all the people that have been abducted and probed? What, what about the NASA files? And, and what, about, what about all the, you know, the people that testify and, and the specials on TV? And so, okay, stop, stop, stop. Are you listening to yourself? You are exalting all of that above the Word of God. Come on now. Think about this. You know, if, if I were the government, I mean, if I were in charge, you know what I would do? I'd have done this a long, long time ago. I would have created a special, super, super duper secret division of the government. And their job would be do everything you can to fuel the fire of all these people out there that believe in extraterrestrials. Because as they keep chasing their tail to prove the existence of all that stuff, they're going to leave us alone so we can do what we really want to do. I would do that. I would create the distraction. Because these kind of people, they're always looking for something to prove. And sadly, you've got a lot of Christians that are the same way. I have just walked you through Scripture. Genesis to Revelation and proven to you there is no intelligent life on other planets. Some people are still going to argue, I don't doubt. Oh yes there is, oh yes there is. But you know what? This is precisely the kind of gullibility which sets Christians up for false doctrine. That's what this message has been about. It's to prove to you from Scripture what a lot of people already understand. There is no intelligent life on other planets. But the fact that you've got Christians who believe this, these people are prime targets for the Matthew 24 deception. And this is why... It absolutely is imperative that we do 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, study to show ourselves approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what we did tonight. We were rightly dividing the word of truth concerning creation and its ultimate demise. And how that its ultimate demise impacts the entire universe. And no way is God going to hold people on other planets responsible for what Adam did 300 light years away. It's not going to happen. Intelligent life doesn't exist. Well, then why is the universe so big? It's for us. I'm not even going to get into... Okay, briefly. This humanity has been around now for you know, roughly... 6,000 years. What 
And remember, you go back into Genesis, you read some of these people were living like three, four, five, six, seven hundred plus years. Some of them, you know, over 900. What if nobody had ever died? What if nobody had ever died? What if women were having babies until they're like 300 years old? Now you're thinking, good. (laughs) Do what? (laughs) But if you never die and your body is never corrupted, then you could be fertile myrtle the rest of your life. <laughs> now that sounds kind of crazy, but think about it. What, yeah, what would it be like? Nobody dies. There's no sickness. There's no disease. There's nothing bad. And nobody dies. How many humans do you think would be alive in 6,000 years? Billions upon billions upon billions and a few billion more. Eve would still be having babies. <laughs> well, that's, let's see here. I don't know. I lost count. <laughs> this planet is not big enough for that many humans. You mean we're supposed to be out there? Yeah. I'm firmly convinced that's why there's so many other planets. Well, how would we get there? Okay, now you're getting into an area of physics that doesn't exist in a fallen creation. You're talking about physics that will exist with a new heaven and new earth. And so we can't we can only, you know, sit around and speculate. Things are going to be drastically different. And in, remember when he said over there in Isaiah how that the old would would not be remembered remembered? In the new, the day is going to come. We're going to be talking about, do you remember what it was like when, when we were living in the old world? Man, I don't know. I just, that seems like an eternity ago. I don't remember what. <laughs> now seriously, in other words, the incredible perfection of the new is going to be so overwhelming to us we will forget everything about the corrupted old other than the fact that we lived in it. And we, sit, we hear this and think, man, I don't, that just seems so far out. It does. That's because our minds aren't geared to think that way. Now, you know, if, if you're going to believe in intelligent life on other planets... What else are you believing? And what else are you going to believe? Guys, I'm telling you, this may have seemed like a really simple message, but I hope its impact hits home. We cannot afford to jump on the bandwagon of every email, every video, every, check this out, every preacher who comes along and says this and talks about that. Hey, there was somebody, they have disassociated themselves from this ministry who had been associated with this ministry for quite some time. And the reason they did that was because when I made mention of a, uh, like a, uh, the vaccine for COVID-19, this person is 100% convinced that 
the vaccine for the COVID-19 involves the mark of the beast and that I am telling people to take the mark of the beast. I'm not making this up. And I was really kind of shocked to hear that because, first off, listen, watch my series on end times, okay? It brings a lot of clarity to that. But the point I'm making is this. Too many Christians, they hear things and they jump on the bandwagon, they accept it, and they do, they do research on the internet. And I've got, I've got all the proof I need. It's right there. Everybody knows this. Okay, but what does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God say? And too many Christians, they don't go back to the Word of God. They just grab a hold of all this stuff. And it is, I'm telling you, it conditions them to be deceived in doctrine. Now, I'm not saying everybody who believes there's intelligent life on other planets is going to end up taking the mark of the beast and going to hell. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we've got to guard ourselves. We have got to stay in the Word. We've got to spend time praying in the Spirit to protect ourselves from what is coming. So guys, you know, be encouraged by this. And if you ever get into a discussion with somebody who says, I'm telling you, God put life on all these other planets, blah, blah, etc. Just say, you know, there's a sermon you might want to hear. Seriously, pass it along. Or listen to it again, jot down all the, the references, and you'll have it. It's scriptural proof. And if they won't accept the word of God, do you remember what happened when Jesus gave the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus? And, you know, the, the rich man, he's in hell, and he says, Father Abraham, you know, at least send Lazarus to my brothers to warn them, and, and uh, you know, they won't come to this place. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. And if they're not going to believe the word of God, they're not going to believe somebody if they raise from the dead. That, guys, we've got to get it settled in our hearts. There are some people, they're just going to believe what they're going to believe, and it doesn't matter what the word of God says. But for those of us who want to continue on this path into the fullness of Christ, we have got to stay in the word. We've got to surround ourselves by like-minded and hearted believers Lock arms and keep pressing in. Praise the Lord.